0: Hello and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway.
1: Welcome, regenerates, to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I keep thinking I'm going to rename this this show, The Global Weirding... Uh, show with Gregory. (laughs) Anyway, uh, today I have the pleasure of introducing Nora Bates, who's an amazing thinker and has been uh, leading a global conversation on warm data and um, yeah, reciprocity, complexity, context. And um, I first actually heard her speak on uh, Douglas Rushkoff's Teen Human Podcast, which is fantastic if, if listeners haven't checked that out. It's a, it's a nice, there's a lot of great conversations there. And um, yeah, I've been familiar with her father's work, Gregory Bates, and for a long time and inspired. And she's really, um, yeah, been been a, a, a leading and influencer, th- thinker and, and, um, was really grateful to chat with her. Um, we had a really fun and fairly short conversation as we both had some other things moving. Um, so this is a, is a, is a shorty but a goody. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, we get into some very rich territory, um, discussing, you know, the, the need for the, the need for dynamic and complex dialogue and how and, and what that's asking of us in this moment in, in, uh, in society today. So uh, I hope you enjoy this episode with Nora Bateson.
0: All right. Uh, welcome, Nora Bateson. I'm so grateful to have you here on the Planetary Regeneration podcast. I've been looking forward to talking with you for a long time. So, um Thanks for hopping on.
2: It's great to be here. Thank so you.
0: We, we were just be, before I hit record, we were just sort of reminiscing about the good old days of uh, globe trotting and um, you know the the life of the itinerant uh, change maker maybe and um, yeah, just it, both of us were sort of sharing some gratitude for how much things have slowed down and and the shift. While maybe also having a little bit of a nostalgia moment.
3: <laughs> what
0: you were saying you, just, you were saying you missed airports. What do you miss about them?
2: <laughs> Confessions, right? Um, you know, it all just seems kind of surreal, but I just I I've been I just sitting here on our little farm for months on end and were, I don't think I've ever worked so hard in my life. So it's really not about missing work because, mm-hmm. wow, that has not been the case. You got but, dirt um, under your
0: fingernails. And, I, yeah.
2: <laughs> and so many Zoom calls and projects bursting and articles coming out everywhere. And I mean, super productive. But um, I don't know. I, you know, here's the the... the strange and let's go here. Okay, Gregory, let's let's go go here because there's something so important about this realm of what's not quite conscious.
0: Hmm. Sort of the liminal, the the liminal
2: nonverbal, liminal, Mm -hmm. kind of under the surface, lurking, murky world. And what I was kind of nostalgic for was that that sense of, you know, being in my little jacket and having my little suitcase and going where I knew I was going and I knew what time the plane was leaving and I was like, gonna go give a talk or meet the people and do the thing. And now it's like, you know... Things are getting a little loose, mm. right? You it's it's very relaxed. There's, and this is good. I mean, it's it is good. It's just that there's uh, a kind of formality. I you know there's a sort a something in the format. There's just something in the formality that I was missing.
0: Right, and the so sort of like the ritual of. the 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 residual formal rituals of how we interact as humans when we're in person and you know like the how you dress how you show up how you introduce yourself being on time getting from here to there organizing the logistics of all of that and there's sort of um it it structures in some way our relationships right and now we're just in this moment of you can connect with, everybody. everybody is now participating in what was functionally possible before, but now is sort of socially accepted, which is you can connect on Zoom one after another, giant meetings, little meetings. You can be in your pajamas with your cat on your lap. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. It's a change. Yeah. It's a change. What, what do you think the positive attributes of that change are in terms of uh, because you're sort of noting that this is a very rich fertile Mm -hmm. creative moment for you lots moving Um, so what do you what would you identify as kind of the 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 positive the unaccepted unexpected positive attributes of this you know culture shift we've just gone through
2: i think that the When you start unraveling things, you actually have no idea where that unravel goes. Hmm. And that is a good thing. Because the way we were raveled, are we ever raveled? Do you talk about raveling or just unraveling? (laughs) Anyway, good question. (laughs) The way we were raveled was, was, um, was really into a very tight set of patterns that were you know they were they were it wasn't going anywhere good
0: you know ravel people usually use the word tangle instead of ravel i think
2: or or wrapped yeah something yeah so we were we were wrapped into a, a whole lot of patterns that um that made it impossible to think that it would that we could just not fly to the conference or with the you know, uh, all these things that were impossible became possible and and there's been so much that's been revealed. But the big piece for me is um, I think still in the works, which is that identity itself is something that is formed in relationship.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And when all those relationships change, What happens to identity? And so that's, Mm -hmm. for me, that's the thing I'm really interested in. And I think it's going to take some time to start to notice how we've changed. I don't think we can be, um, you know, kind of having beautiful hindsight about the thing that we are just barely in the beginning of.
3: Yeah.
0: Of, of, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> so but we can like,
0: make wild ass guesses about where it might go, I suppose, and have fun with that if we want
2: <laughs> all day long, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I and that's fun, yeah. So, I, I think, and maybe that's actually in a meta moment, okay? Let's meta that for a sec and say. Part of what has been happening is there's been this drive to harvest, to get the deliverables, to, you know, document everything as you're learning. It's Mm -hmm. like learning's never had time to grow anyway. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, we were buried in hot pink post-its.
3: Yeah.
2: And I just have to say that it doesn't work like that you know these little itty bitty seeds of learning were just barely touching soil and we were like what's the deliverable it's like this is not an apple my friends this is still this is not ready for harvest so maybe it's been a time when some of the things that have been very eagerly yanked from the soil of kind of epistemological growth could could, could take and make seedlings and begin to create together. I don't, you know, maybe.
0: I think that's a really potent image and reminder. I I mean, for me, it's funny, as you were saying that, I was just having the experience of sort of a, a quick introspection and realizing you know, A, how much I resonate with that truth and have long believed we need to reconnect with cycles and give the sort of, uh, the down cycle, the winter cycle, the, you know, the the seed germination moment, more spaciousness and time, while at the same time I've been often living in a way that's incoherent with that belief or knowledge. And, um, and, and, by and large, I would say that that's, that's due to the sort of like the magnetic pull of our, you know, of the dominant culture. Um, just like, you know, you want to get funded, you want to do this, you want to do that, you want to m- do something, you've got, you you know, you as you were saying, you got to take that half-baked idea and, you know, that non-germinated apple seed and you have to present it as if it's a you know, a tree and the, you know, flowering at spring, that's 15 years old at the peak of productivity, you know, (laughs) without, you know, without anything in between. And um, that's such a disservice, I think, to, and it is such a beautiful reminder to value and reconnect with the space in between, with the as we were talking about before, the liminal, the space of potentiality, the space of darkness, of unknowing, of just being able to say, I don't really know what's going on right now. I'm just holding, and in in a conversation I, I, we both had the pleasure of participating with, that was actually something that um, with Daniel Christian Wall and, um, and May East, um, we were this theme actually came up where Daniel was sort of making a statement and maybe I was even arguing a little bit or pushing back on it or trying to sort of like have a dialectic around it. He was saying, you know, the biggest thing that the biggest gift of this transformation that coronavirus is bringing is people being humbled and being able to say, I just don't know. Mm. I actually just don't have any idea of what's happening and Um, anyway that that to me that really links back there's just that's a really juicy and beautiful topic of conversation so I'd actually like to just do a couple circles or spirals around that and I would love it you know as we're circling that and sort of you know exploring it from different angles um, I would love it if you would if, if you could sort of weave a thread which I know you'll do implicitly but maybe making it a little bit more explicit for myself and for others around how you're thinking around warm data relates to this sort of th- this phase of the cycle and this nurture, more nurturing approach to um, how we know and how we generate our understanding and action.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm, um, I'm happy to do that because it's uh... It's actually come into focus for me in ways that um, probably it wasn't that clear before. Uh, There's been an urge, an itch, an impulse to change make. Like what is this change making thing? And um, one of the things that happens inside that space that we live in, that we've been running around in, is that that with all the best intentions, uh, there's an identification and definition of the problems. Mm. And uh, a notion that those problems should be tended to right something yeah. like that
0: the problems um, become the focus the, the 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 problems become the sort of attention focus is what you're what you're saying we start to identify with it and just put all our attention to it and
2: and you know the issue is that what i'm what what warm data brings to that table is the basic This, this, you know, there's kind of like one line you can hold it all in and it's, it's this, whatever it is that you think it is, it's not just that and nothing more. Hmm. And so you think you need to deal with education. You think you need to deal with the pandemic. You think you need to deal with, um, culture or health or economy or whatever it is, ecology, environmental solutions. But whatever it is, it's not just that and nothing more. And this is about really taking into account that whatever it is we're talking about is inhabiting multiple contexts and that we as observers are inhabiting multiple contexts. So there's all of these multiple processes happening. And yet there's this incredible urge to just get get something separated from all that multiplicity hmm. so we can get a grip on it, get control of it, hmm. and change it. And, you know, for a bunch of people who are talking about complexity and systems and change-making, this is a really... Um, these are kind of an important thing to address.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Is that the things that are are up in our face, maybe as being the symptoms of the global issues? Okay, this is something we all know. They're not the issues. Yeah. Right. They're not. And so it becomes really, you know, it, it's something interesting to recognize that. You know, you could easily say, we don't have a carbon emissions problem. We have a culture problem. We don't have a culture problem. We have an identity issue. People need to have status so they buy stuff. We have a a way of, you know, sort of fluffing our feathers for each other that includes titles and, you know, travel and doing things. And we have a notion of happiness that includes things. And so do we have a carbon problem? Do we have an environmental crisis? Do we have a, like where, you know, what's the issue? Yeah. And um, so this is where the warm data comes in because the flip side of this is how do you think about a solution? And, and the uh, if you have pulled the thing out of its context to identify it as a problem, the solution is also gonna follow that same pathway. And pretty soon you're managing and you're controlling and you're measuring and you're decontextualizing and you're doing all these things. Right. That actually, not only do those things cause more problems, but I would say that it would be really useful to ask you know kind of what's the warm data of why the cold data is so meaningful to us what kind of a a cultural basis is generating appetite for that much decontextualized information
3: yeah well i mean I think that that's a really important question. And I wonder,
0: It's there's a really interesting conversation taking place right now to me. Uh, I'm not sure if, if, it's always hard for me to tell what l- lands in other people's filter bubbles these days. Mm. But I've been <clears throat> attentive to this sort of like meme war taking place, essentially, between the... Sort of like rational, liberal, in the classical sense of liberalism, sort of a social and democratic, institutional, you know, democracy and markets, rational scientific thinking, enlightenment values liberalism. Right. Right. Versus sort of the postmodern, you know, woke, um, intersectional, uh, critical theory, you know, new left. And there's like this raging meme war taking place. And there's others as well. Like, you know, there's there's other people, but that's the one that I've been very attentive to because it speaks to to two sides of my identity or my, con- my context and my worldview and things that I've studied or I think I have opinions about or, you know, I have a life experience that I've, you know kind of calcified different opinions about or whatever, so it's sort of like it really it it uh, it's activating to me to watch that and it's specifically an argument about what you just brought up, which is how do we let's see if I can rephrase this, but it's it's what's the right relationship between a re-examination an epistemological re-examination of the roots of our sense making, be it science or journalism or what what have you um, and are we going to fall back onto the the sort of um, enlightenment reductionist um, a ab- pretension of objective nature or are we going to throw all like object you know all hierarchy scope um out the window and say there's like because because you can't be purely objective there's no such thing as a spectrum of objectiveness you know so there's like these two sort of absurdist positions fighting with each other essentially. (laughs) And what's rich is the middle ground, where I think, which is actually where you're doing work, which is, how do we ask better questions? How do we own when there is, how do we uncover and even celebrate our cognitive bias with one another, and then use that to reinform a process, not to just dismantle and dismember a process, you know, not to be adversarial about it, but to understand, oh, yeah, that study had this really interesting, you know, perspective of this. The scientists were always thinking, you know, like, like the rat telomeres or whatever they They never even thought that the mice would evolve differently in a lab than in nature. What does that say (laughs) about how they were seeing things, you know? Exactly.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I love this because this is so important because for me, the big, the big issue right now is this, this, here's the thing, is that we're wanting to change the system from within the system because we are the system. Yeah. And so all those different frameworks that you're talking about, particularly the two, are both manifestations of the same system. Right, we're we're we're, we're, whether you're the right or the left or the, you know, all. It's still premised upon baselines along the levels of you know which is the better thinking, of which is the which has more social justice in it, of which is more um, rigorous, which is more. Which is which is more, which is better, and and that's a really it's a really tricky place to be because I I mean what I see is that essentially all these thought forms and languaging and and processes that we're drawing from string back into various institutions and histories and texts that are currently kind of pixelating in the distance. Looking at you know statues falling and what's happening to the history that we learned. Who were these people that we learned about? Like what what are these assumptions about human nature based on? You know where where did that? What is the history of actually managing natural resources? Mm. Right. These these, and and when you start to string it back, suddenly that there's nothing there but melt. And so I don't know how how stringent or how rigid we can get, except for to keep questioning. I mean, the, the big one for me right now is the questions around freedom of speech.
0: Yes. Well, exa- that's exactly the... That's really where the crux of this gets scary, in a way.
2: It, and And I don't think we know what the hell we're talking about.
0: That's right. And people aren't framing it very well. I mean, I've been... Very, on one hand, you know, the, the sort of uh, centrist, liberal, you know, progressives or whatever are sort of, they're, they're tr- trying to defend this, um, this pillar of, you know, uh, democratic institutions that is freedom of speech. Uh, right. And feeling embattled by this other group, which is saying, no, what we have to do is create safe safety. So so if your like speech could be violent and speech could be filled with hate and those types of speech need to be sort of like censored essentially in certain contexts and what we're missing is an actual topology and map that allows us to understand like free to whom where and why and you know like and what's the right relationship between creating you know safety in a so that people can have these like incubation moments you know maybe we in a, as a culture we need to have to realize that there needs to be an open germination phase for many people who have not had in quotes free speech for a long time that's that's crazy like how many people in our society got to actually enjoy free speech as it's meant you know um so but at the same time <laughs> we need to it just it needs to be nuanced it needs to be it can't we can't be willy-nilly censoring people so it's a very it, you i i agree we don't know what we're talking about but yeah but people are very polarized and are are arguing and are like are entrenched into these what become very oversimplified, polarizing positions, essentially.
2: Did and you ever join the debate team?
0: I, um, I never did an official stint on a debate team, no. But that is, the, that is you know, that is, it. That is what's happening.
2: <laughs> and I didn't either. You want to know why? Why? Because I hated the aesthetic of the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's ugly. And you're okay. just fighting to fight. You, you may agree with what you're saying, but you're just trying to win something. It's uh, Exactly,
2: yeah. exactly. And this for me is the issue.
0: Yeah, so instead of a dialectic, instead of a dialogue, instead of an exploration, instead of consensus or sense-making where we're open to, wow, I didn't even see that, we're, we're, we're caught into a, a debate, a polarized debate of just trying to win
2: and it exactly and and then if you add the whole technological question to this and you add algorithms right what 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 does that even mean we don't know what that you know freedom of speech is another thing before technology brought algorithms It's a very different way in which the my voice or your voice or My kid's voice or, you know, it it was moving in very, very different ways. Yeah. And so adding algorithms to this is not nothing. And especially once those algorithms start to increase the level of polarities. And so we're getting, you know, right, left, we're getting divisions, divisions. It's what it does. It generates divisions.
3: It's
0: such an an algorithm comes such an interesting emergence. What you were talking about earlier when you started, I just and you were asking what's the actual problem, right? And sort of go peeling the layers of the onion. Where my mind went to is a place that it oftentimes goes, which is we're a bunch of primates fighting with each other, you know, with 21st century tools which is you know it's not a it's a it's a sort of like it's a frame that i'm not attached to but it's sort of like oh you get a bunch of monkeys who run to the calamity like we run to the calamity we run to the fight that's what we want and you and you throw in some algorithms and all of a sudden you have <laughs> this you know this self-perpetuating kind of train wreck just r- running through our Social media.
2: And to my mind, honestly, the format of debate as it stood never could deal with complexity. It never could deal with the system the deeper systemic process. It never generated mutual learning or the possibility for really excited, engaged, curious, intelligent people to think together
0: is there an institution that we could point to in a culture that's proximate enough to you know the the experience that we that you and I have and probably many of our listeners at the moment will would resonate with as sort of a cultural context other than debate that we might look to
2: that for yeah. sure what about improvisation
3: mhm
2: right whether it's theater improvisation or musical improvisation or um, you know, any kind of improvisation where you have to, you have to know your stuff. You can't show up without rigor. Hmm. Right. But you also have to be able to respond and move and your job is not to be right, but to make the thing, help the thing to happen.
0: be novel in some way right
2: Or, or not even to be novel but you know if we're an improvisational space which i kind of feel that we are actually we had no agenda for this conversation yeah and we're just like shooting completely from the hip if you will but but my job isn't to make me look good
3: yeah
2: right because then what is this my job here is to open something so that you can come in so that you bring something that I can take off on. Right. So, so it's not about me. It's about nourishing the space between us. And, and that's something I never have felt that debate did.
3: In no, fact,
2: no. it did the opposite. It closed it up. Yeah. It, did, it closed it up. So, so I have a hard time feeling some kind of, um I mean, forgive me, but I have a hard time feeling like we have to save that archetype.
3: The debate archetype. The, yeah, the, yeah, yep.
2: It it, it actually I, I hate the aesthetic of that conversation. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like a place where new ideas can. You know, we where are we now? We are in a moment of completely unprecedented. I mean, humanity's on the brink for crying out loud. We, like, this is not the time to rehash a trillion old ideas. Yeah, we indeed. actually need to be able to think fresh and respond in language that we haven't tried before and like, be right on the edge of what we can't even say and get caught in that, like, that moment of, hold on, I have to figure out if I can put a word on this thing I'm thinking. That moment. What
3: do you think it
0: looks like to, because it takes two to debate, what do you think it looks like for one person to realize and choose not to engage in the debate and to shift it to improv? Is that, is that, you know, in a way that the other person doesn't feel like they're, I don't know, I mean, I could see that people could Depending on how it's done, (laughs) there's many different. There's a whole universe of outcomes that could take place. But what does that look like in just in your experience to to help coax something new out of a old, a tired old polemic?
2: (laughs) And I think is what it looks like is what it feels like. It's what Mm -hmm. it tastes like. It's what it's. It's what it. It's what it. Is it warm? You know sometimes you get in a conversation with someone and you can be on a panel, and then there's someone there who just they might not even say anything, but they're so warm, mm-hmm. and their presence is so able to be both deep and hold it lightly
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and it's it's more it's not a it's not a methodology it's a, it's a it's a, a way a, it's a, of yeah. being. Hmm. and And bringing one's um, one's little seedling soul to the conversation hmm. that is not yet an apple tree, you know and 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 just being there with that. and and what kind of ideas, what kind of questions, what kind of processes come from that uh, it's like it's humility, but it's got rigor. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's that I'm not showing up as my academic self. Mm. I'm showing up as me. And it's not really just me. It's the particular me that you bring out. Mm. And us being in conversation is an exploration of how we are together. What is it that we make together? What kind of ideas do we find when we go walking through the idea forest? And they're not the same as if, you know, if, if we were sitting here, either one of us was somebody else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sort of the, the, the speaker and listener as an phenomenon of the moment that's co-created between the two of us and there's something about there's something so beautiful about real about using that language for me of emergence
3: Mm.
0: around the just anchoring in the moment and anchoring in multiplicity of self multiplicity of self depth of mutual experience and the invigoration of knowing that, you know, the space between us could blossom into anything. We don't even know what it could become.
2: So for me, that's freedom of speech. That's what I'm talking about. So this thing where it's like, do you have the right to put up swastikas or not? is like really a weird question. It really, it really demarcates a very weird set of cultural pathways that have brought us to that question and and so i feel like we have to be careful with this right now because to drill down on that place is not going to actually be generative of the kind of of possibility that is actually there Right. Which is, you know, which is actually a real shift in the public discourse. Which is, whoa, we desperately need that.
0: So instead and, of drilling, yeah. what do we do? So if we're knowing that it's so important and it's there's this transformative imperative for uh, for our discourse, for our culture, for for the way we approach speech and sense making, and what you're pointing to is you know if we try to say that's the problem and we're going to drill into it and we're going to sort of like hammer it until we build some tool that's there right. you know, or whatever it is instead I mean what I'm sensing is you're inviting a different way of of holding with softness and not avoiding it but giving it sort of a place that we circle back to in different ways and in different contexts and see what emerges.
2: Um, This is the warm data work in a nutshell because what we're doing is we're having conversations that are allowing personal experience across multiple contexts to overlap like a moire phenomenon
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and when you do that You have insights, and I have insights. There is a mutual learning taking place, but we're not learning the same thing. Mm. And what is in crisis right now, in terms of where where I think this this thing is as a, as a cultural question, what's in crisis is the the way the form the way in which the culture of uh, the Western cultural process, if you want to, I don't know what to call it, um, has come to think it needs to metabolize this issue. What, In what way does this issue that we're talking about right now reveal how Western cultural communication and public discourse has learned to be in its world? What does it reveal just in the way that it's becoming right now, this question? What conditions is it revealing? And to, to, to instead of trying to answer the free speech or no free speech debate or no debate question, let's look at the conditions in which that question is getting squished into a particular formation. Yeah. Because that formation is information. It's information. About what kind of what kind of um where the the sort of the 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 limbs of possibility have like been tourniqueted, where the blood flow has stopped, and where it needs to be able to flow again, so that we can have another it's you know obviously this question that's being asked right now. Is is um is going to if we choose one side or the other? Neither neither direction goes anywhere good.
0: Are you familiar with um, Carol Sanford's
2: work neither. at all? Yeah, I love Carol. Yeah,
0: yeah, she's a long time teacher of mine and friend, and um, I've w- w- as you're speaking to that, I'm I'm getting this really beautiful image from her work, which I, I believe is, you know, even very specifically this principle, I, I have pretty solid reason to believe that it comes from your father's work, and, and that is this understanding of nodal, being able to track nodally where we actually intervene. So decoupling, and and this is a theme. Um, Do we concentrate on the problem, which is what, you know, like Western medicine and Western democracy and debate and all of these other ways of knowing we identify the problem and then we, you know, like here's the solution and that's the thing? Or do we use it as the opportunity to move up and down nested layers of context and and circle around and look for if somewhere out there there's a acupuncture point that we're we're drawn to sort of touch and see what happens to this knot that we're experiencing that's there's this acute pain that's emerged from the present moment so that's, That's what,
2: exactly what I meant when I said that it's not just that and nothing more. Whatever yeah. it is we think we're looking at is yeah. is the is the consequence of lots of different conditions and contexts. So the exploration of those conditions and contexts becomes a uh, a, a deepening, a widening, uh, a loosening of the perception. Mm. And once that happens, actually, usually the thing changes. This whole idea of, and then what, is kind of, it becomes a little bit moot. Well, right, awareness
0: transforms somehow.
2: Yeah, it just does. And you start to, the whole thing seems to move at that point, regardless of, you know, you don't really need a committee or a strategy because and it's not because it's never just one action that changes that's why when the perception shifts everything shifts the whole plate shifts and so it's a it's a multitude of minutiae and and macro processes that are changing pretty spontaneously you don't really need you don't really need it to go much further than that um and i'm also recognizing that i have to go in a minute.
0: Just in a minute, yeah. Well, um, it's been a really fantastic and rich um, conversation, Nora. Thank it's you for- so
3: fun. That.
0: Yeah. Um, we'll have to do it again sometime. And thanks for taking time to sort of dig in and and do a couple uh, spirals around um, this topic, which which I've been holding with a lot of curiosity the last um, couple of months, actually. So I'm, I'm grateful to get to just sort of see what emerged between us.
2: Me too. And I really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, but come um, come play in the warm data meadow with me anytime. I'd love to. I would love that as well. Ciao. Ciao.